Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. Today we got a really great show with my good buddy, Eric Stewart. Eric is one of those guys who knows everything about the financial world and getting loans. He is a loan broker and can help you find agency debt, CMBS debt, bridge to perm, um, you know, FHA, really anything that you need in a commercial loan. Um, Eric really specializes in helping the new people, like if you're just kind of starting out, to help you structure the right deal and to, you know, understand your exit strategy to be able to get you the right type of loan because all loans are not created equal. You need a really good broker to help uh, mitigate the, the minefields of, of what's going on with the, the, the financial world. And I think Eric Stewart is the right guy. So you're going to want to listen to this episode. Um, so stay tuned. But first, a word from our sponsors. At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. If you want to learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room. All right, we're back, guys. Let's get to it. Eric Stewart and learning about all the things in alone. Hey, Eric. Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Man, um, lending. Lending is one of those things in this world that everybody needs to have alone. Or, or, and and when, they, when they think about it, um, a lot of people need someone that can help them navigate through the process. Am I right? Absolutely. And Absolutely. So I think you're really good at this, especially with um, you know some of the newer people. I think you have the patience model <laughs> to help <laughs> to help um, people um, get into their loans. So let's talk about the lending world. What's what's going on right now? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know. I guess if I had to describe the overall lending market, it's, it's cautiously optimistic. There's still very solid debt structures that, that are out there for, for solid properties. And there's still bridge money, short-term money out there for the renovation projects and those turnaround deals that may not qualify. You know, one of the, one of the unique things that, that I've noticed about the, the, the top lenders of, let's say, multifamily, just for the sake of this discussion, if you look at what they've implemented and, and the concerns or the, the changes that they've implemented in their programs, they're all short-term changes, right? For the most part, the biggest change that we've seen are additional reserves that these lenders are collecting up front, but they're, hold, they're only holding them for maybe anywhere from six months to 18 months, right? So it's a short-term type of security that they're looking for. But hey, they're still lending 80%, um, 75% in some markets. They're still giving great rates. They're still doing interest-only periods. So I'm actually quite bullish on it. You know, The, the reaction that the, 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 the debt markets have had to, to all the economic concerns right now, they're short-term. And to me, that's a real positive. Right. You know, it, it, see, it, we're still getting great long-term rates. Do you see any inflation in that, in that 
in the interest rates. Like, I mean, I feel like I'm watching gas prices right now continue to rise, and I'm like, okay, so is that going to make our commodities start to go up? You know, and then like, when do when do lending rates go up? Do, do you have well, any idea? You know, this is where the answer starts with the crystal ball comment that nobody has. Indications for 21 have they've kind of hovered around 40 to 50 basis points for this year as far as a rise. And just just so everybody knows, the leading uh, the, the the leading indicator that we kind of follow for our interest rates in this in in the multifamily sector is the 10 year Treasury. That's kind of the benchmark that we use. Um, and so that that's there is a, there is an expectation that we're going to see higher rates. Um, but at the same time, you know, we've seen low rates for for a historical amount of time. I mean, this is we've been waiting waiting for rates to pop up for for a long. I mean, time. they're already low. Then and, they went super low. Like when they're sub threes and even high twos, you're like, yeah. what? Yeah, that's it, the it, cheapest exactly. money that I've seen like in a long time. Now, what it's creating though is. Uh, higher price properties there's there's a number of factors that are that are keeping those cap rates low and and you know it's it's you're absolutely right you, the prices just kept going but up banks keep lending um, on it and, and uh, they don't show any signs of like you know trouble there's no troubled waters there's not you blood know, in the water yet i mean it's it's kind of like yeah we're going to continue this pace for a while well and, and I, I mean, to, to coin a phrase from a good buddy of mine, cash flow, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like what you always say, it's all about cash flow. Compare it to the single family market. I mean, you remember back in, in uh, 07, 08, when, you're, when you have a property that only has one stream of income, or even, you know, even more, if, if you are the only stream of income for that property, that's a ner- that they're going to get nervous on that. But when when we diversify our streams of income like we do, that's where you've got these rescue funds that are poised and ready to come in, and they're not going to let these these properties go dirt cheap like you would a single family house. You know, they're not going to let them sit in servicing and let people squat there for years like they did back in '07. So there there's a higher floor to it, you know. And and we were talking about rates just a minute ago. A unique thing that I that I that I pull from this this rate cycle that we've seen is that we when we tap in to a floor index, and by that I mean a live example, Fannie Mae when when Fannie Mae implemented a ninety basis point floor for their index, right? They're not going to go lower than ninety percent ninety basis points. When we hit that floor, that's when I think rates are about as low as we're going to see them. You know, I, I've got to believe that they're not going to lower their floor. So, by that I mean now is now would be when you lock in your long term rates. You know, now would be when you think, all right, if, if something's going to happen. And this is really the time when, like, if so, this is where you start looking at. So, if you had existing loans out there, existing debt on multifamily properties, but you had maybe a defeasance period or payoff, um, you know. Um, some type of step down basis or whatever it is, you're now looking at that based on the rate and saying, does this make sense to refine out? Because I can get cheaper, you know, like there's always a point of time where it makes more sense just to get new money and new debt. You're absolutely right. I've got clients that do that exact thing is, is you might take a small hit 
um, you know, on, on defeasance or yield maintenance or like you said, step down prepay. But the value that you're picking up, number one, you might see some cash out proceeds, you know, and you can either renovate, you can either build up reserves, which is not a bad idea. Um, you could fund that back to your investors, whatever you choose to do with those proceeds. But you can also, if you stay below 65%, you can see some long-term IO periods, interest-only periods, which can really help that cash flow going forward. I mean, yes. Um, and when you put that kind of rate on a, an, an interest-only piece as well, man, it spells out the word money. <laughs> that's right. Oh, right? And, and that's actually what we did at our Yuma deal, right? I mean, you helped me be a part of that where we were in a bridge. This is just a bridge to perm, but the timing couldn't have been better when we got, um, we were able to go from a 6% bridge note, interest only, to then placing a Freddie, uh, was it Freddie or Fannie? I can't remember. It was Freddie. Freddie, Freddie note, 15 year debt, like 3.63 or something like that. I mean, it, the rates went a little bit lower afterwards, but like we were still pleasantly happy. But we got five years of interest only at 3.6. I think our payment went from like $47,000 a month to like 22. The pleasant surprise on that. It was a healthy amount of interest only, but you also got leverage. You got 75% leverage, which normally you have to give up leverage to get a healthy IO period. So yeah. yeah. So we got not only did we get that, we we came in too. We we I think our loan was the last one before they started making <laughs> the interest reserves uh, mandatory. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You but like, even if we would have had interest reserve mandatory, it's just a reserve. It's and like you said, it's six months to a year. You get that money back. So, uh, but what we were able to do is, and and we got cash out. We got money out. Like I don't know, it was like six hundred thousand dollars that we used to pay off some of the debt, some of our equity, which you know helps you us know, yield better, better rates. No doubt. Or, or no better doubt. cash flow. And you know, you you mentioned the reserves too, Corey, and and I think it's important to note. That as we're coming into this cycle, you know, we're, we're, we're into, we're almost a year into when they started implementing that and they are returning those reserves. They're, they are going back out. And I know there was a lot of concerns from clients on, okay, are they really going to give this back to me? Or are they going to find some, you know, ridiculous reason why they need to hold it? Um, but they're giving it back. You know, yeah. and, and, and that's a plus. That's a real positive. As we're coming on the backside of COVID, I, I say the backside of COVID, listen, COVID's going to be around forever. We'll never get rid of it, in my opinion. Um, hopefully we can get rid of the mask sooner than later. But... Um, <laughs> But vaccine is really coming out. It's getting distributed hard. Now I get, I, I'm getting, I'm hearing about more and more seniors getting vaccinations. And so it's working its way through the process. And we're still pretty, I mean, listen, that vaccine only came out, I mean, two months ago. Yeah. So, it's true. I true. mean, let that thing resonate for another six more months, eight months. Um, we've seen that our country can do amazing things when, when, when given the resources. I got to think that we're going to get back to a little bit more normalcy on that front too, which is going to help lending. Maybe those reserves will, will go away and you know, maybe they don't, but um, it looks like there's a good pathway for lending right now. I believe that I, I believe things are going to, and I say this again, I go back to the crystal ball thing, but if, if I really had to put money on it, I would venture to say that by the third quarter, we should be back to some reasonable debt structures. And, and as far as those reserves go, as far as um, 
just as far as the whole pandemic issue, right, LTV, I really think all that E3, stuff, right? All that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to believe we're going to be in a lot better position here in Q3, unless obviously, unless something, you know, they come up with a new strain for us and there's some new media blitz. They won't because Joe's in, in the office. So everything's. Well, very- do we have a, are we going to have a CNN COVID or are we going to have a Fox News COVID? You right. know, <laughs> they got two different COVIDs, man. But, you know, listen, I mean, it's funny how, uh, and I'm not, a, I try to not be political at all on this podcast, but it's, I mean, I, I watch the news media and, and, you know, the hate Trump thing is just, I mean, I'm not even saying Trump's a great guy, but the bias in the media, how bad they just go after this guy. They created their own thing and um, they're, they're definitely got little punches are not as hard and which is a good thing. I mean, I, I. I want us to move forward, and I think that's what we're going to start doing, right? As a whole country, yeah. we're going to move th- forward through this um, and not be so focused on it. And and that has been the case, in my opinion. And what I'm seeing is it is becoming less and less of a thing as numbers start to come down. We're coming through this next season, so who knows? Um, but when it comes to lending, let's let's talk about Eric. Can you give my listeners just a little bit of breakdown on kind of the main types of loans out there and what can they expect? Like, you know, like uh, some rules of thumb with each kind of category. When I talk about agency debt, CMBS, and, and maybe even bridge stuff, right? And Absolutely. Some, some other stuff. Absolutely. And that, that's to compartmentalize it like that is, is great because it is so detailed. If you, if you sink yourself into the minutia of one loan type and think that's going to apply to everything, you, you've got, you know, 99% chance of, of getting it wrong. So that's, that's exactly it. Compartmentalize it and look at the loan size. So, you know, a million to 6 million is going to be one bucket, whether it's Fannie, Freddie, what have you. Um, 6 million and up is going to be another one. That's the first way, loan size. The second way is stabilized or unstabilized. That would be... And what's stabilized mean? When we say stabilized, what is that percentage usually? Stabilized, if well, that's a great, great question because we go back to the one, the, the one to six million or the six plus. If you're dealing in that one to six million dollar space of a loan amount, ninety percent occupancy is considered stabilized. Now we've got some cash flow hurdles that we have to hit, but big picture, ninety percent occupancy is stabilized in that world. If you're above six million, that goes down to eighty-five percent. So. That 85 to 90% is what's considered stabilized. If it's not, then we look at bridge debt. We look at interim short-term financing to acquire the property and include some renovation money in there too. So those are the two big categories because those are going to materially change your loan structure. If you, if you have a property that is 90% occupied and cash flowing well, then you, if, as long as it's your, your loan request is over a million dollars, and you really need to entertain, like you said, agency debt, either Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. 30-year amortizations, your choice of fixed periods, fixed rate periods, 75 to 80% loan to value, and non-recourse debt. So you don't, you're not looking for a personal guarantee. That's kind of the big picture scope of those loans. Um, above $6 million, it's it's very similar except your interest rates get a little bit better, maybe by 30 to 50 basis points. And we can drop a little bit lower on, 
on the occupancy. So we can get it done at 85% instead of instead of that 90% hurdle. Yep. Now these are really general rules of thumb everybody that's listening because every loan is its own unique living thing. Because like, you know, I put in student housing in we're not, and that's oh wait, that's curveball. <laughs> right? That uh, agency's not playing on that unless you have a large school right now. Um, and, um, and a lot of my apartments that I have, I have uh, smaller schools, like 15,000 uh, or less uh, in attendance, right? And so that doesn't, even though I'm you know, 100%, it's not, the agency debt doesn't want it, right? They don't have the appetite for it. Um, so everything has a, yeah, but. That's true. It's very true. And, you know, not just student, but. It, it's any, any time you go into a market, and this is really great for everybody to kind of take note of, anytime you go into a market, any market, and it's got limited economic drivers, it's got you know, some kind of, of major industry that's driving that economy, lenders are going to get concerned. That, and, and they may not kill it, but they may dial back leverage. Like, like you see on student housing, they start at 75% loan yeah, to value. And a lot of times it's 65. Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. So they're going to be more cautious. Um, but Fayetteville, North Carolina, right? Fort Bragg, that's kind of what drives that market. I was just talking about it yesterday. You know, that they're going to take note of what that military concentration is, and it's going to direct us on which lender we go to. So the student was a great point, you know, to bring that up. And, and, all, all we can really do is take generalities and underwrite, put your, make your offers based on those. And then once it starts to gel, now we're going to drill down the, the, the real specifics of what that loan is going to look like. Yep. Now, Eric, you as a loan broker, um, this is your job is you help um, people like that are getting you know loans, new loans or whatever, um, create a financial picture of that property, right? You kind of do some internal working up, here's what it is and what it looks like, and then what do you do after that? You go out and push it to different lenders? It's exactly right. And, and you know, the, the first thing I have to do is, is listen and understand what, you know, beyond just the, a loan for that specific opportunity, I have to sit back and listen to what your investment strategy is, because you may want to, you may want to flip this thing in two years. You may want to dump a million dollars into it and prove it and, and increase the asset class. And you may want to hold it long-term, hand it off to your kids, you know? So it's, it's, it's got a lot to do with what your investment strategy is. Um, as, as much as it does the type of financing that property will qualify for. Um, and so that's the first thing, because if, if let's say you're, you're coming in and this is something that you're going to, you're going to uh, sit for, sit with for 20 years, you're going to buy it in a trust and your family's going to get it. We may do an FHA loan, you know, that, that may be the best way to go. Um, there's a real common, a real common uh, structure now that a lot of folks are doing where they want to refi early, say within the first three years or so, and then send, give money back to their investors. Well, we've got to watch your prepayment penalty in those first few years. We may have to give up some interest only. You know, we may have to take a shorter fixed period in order to get that. So there's a lot of 
a lot of nuances there that I've got to learn up front. A lot of little levers because you can you can pull different levers and it does different things, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So big picture is understanding what your needs are first and what your investment strategy is. And then we can come in and really narrow down your choices. Right. And then you ask, so then what you kind of do is take a, well, I call it a pitch deck or whatever, but Jim, your job as a loan broker is to go then, let's go find out the best type of debt out there. So, because sometimes like agency debt's a little bit more easy. You can go to a couple shops and you're like, here's our agency place to go get it. But when it gets outside of that, CMBS is a way bigger field, Right. Don't you? Yeah. I, yeah. And so, it is. Um, and then having the right relation, see what banks want to play. Cause not, I mean, I've seen this happen a lot where, you know, there's certain lenders that are like, Hey, we're really hot on this right now. Or no, we're not, we're, we're not hot on this kind of debt right now. So we don't, we don't even want to play. And so your job You're is exactly to go out there right. and find the people that, that are interested and then use that to try to say, let's, let's go find the best loan for the investors, um, you know, dreams and desires and hopes and, and stuff like that. That's exactly and bring right. To the party. And, and, you know, and you bring up a great point because when you get into that depository lender arena, when you start dealing with actual banks where they, they, they're concerned with money in, money out, they want your operating accounts and, and they want to give you a line of credit and all that good stuff. That is a different world. It's, it's very fragmented and you end up subject to the, the whims of, one or two people on a credit committee. You know, the president of that bank had a bad experience with a multifamily property, like a, you know, a five unit that his cousin owned. And that we're not doing multifamily. That's that, that really happens. Yeah. Know? So no, I know it does. Right. <laughs> or, and, yeah. and here's the other part too. This is where I've seen, I've seen, I mean, these are just all my life lessons is sometimes you'll have someone like ready cap, you know, I want to say those guys um, that will say they'll do something, and then because this is this is where uh, it happens a lot, bro. It's the gotcha. Yeah, we'll do this loan. They they send out a term sheet. Yeah, we're gonna do it. And then at the very end, a lot of things change. So uh, having experience as a, a mortgage broker, you start to understand who has the tendency to do those types of things. And what lenders to avoid? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. You, the the retrade comes in many forms, um, and and you know we we have as buyers we have retrades when we go in and do our due diligence, and the the, the cast iron pipes in this asset are shot. We've got to do a fifty thousand dollar retrade on this because it's something we discovered through our underwriting. Sometimes it's legitimate. Sometimes we just want a lower price, right? For the most part, I feel like lenders in general do not want the reputation of a retrade. But I feel like what happens is that as they go through that due diligence period, they might discover certain things that don't fit inside their box. And maybe a credit department comes down that wasn't privy to that initial conversation. And things there, there might be a disconnect there. And you know, yeah, and I'm not calling them all wrong, but I mean, but that's the real, that's the reality of things can change. You're like, wait a second. Um, and I've also had them, you know, where they've backed out, like, you know, we're not going to do the, we don't want to do this deal now. And even though they give, yeah. they give you a term, term sheet and um, that's happened many occasions and all of a sudden you got to pivot real quick. Um, and yeah. that that's not fun either, but like, it's part of the reality 
that's what we deal with here on this podcast is how it really yeah. happens. It, it really is. It really is. And I can tell you that, that building that relationship and steering clear of the lenders that have, have a history of doing that is, is really valuable. And folks just getting into the industry, you know, you don't know if you, unless you're leveraging relationships that you have, you know, go dealing with somebody like yourself that has those relationships and can guide people along. And that's what, that's what I try and bring to the table as well. They don't know. No, they how, don't how know. You? you and you have you would have no clue of what your broker is saying or doing or like you know. And here's what I always like sometimes, and I've I've seen this uh, even from you is like, you know, I think about my my student housing debt sometimes the hardest debt to place, especially when I got a small college, and. You know, you're like, okay, well, here's this, but I'm going to give you a prefront. I've never closed with these guys, right? Yep. Like that's the warning, warning, warning. <laughs> <laughs> I've never transacted with these guys. So I don't know how it's going to go down. And that's just the real honest integrity part of like, Corey, we put this to the market and here's the best player offer that we got, but I don't know how it's going to go down, right? I've never seen them close because I don't know if they're going to go and retrade at the end, or I'm, I'm not sure if things yeah. are going to change at the end because I've not seen their history. And that's very honest. And, and for, first of all, thank you for giving that. I think every mortgage broker should give honesty and integrity. But a lot of people are afraid to tell them, tell their clients about that. They want to act like they're so smart and they're so good. And listen, when things go bad, it just rubs them through the mud, right? And yeah. it's better yeah. just to it, be honest about valid. it and say, hey, here's where I'm at. And, and you know, I've never closed with this person. So, But I feel like this is this is the best offer that we got. That's why we're choosing this company. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, is it, even if I haven't closed with somebody, we can talk about how I found them, you know, and, and if they were a referral from somebody else or, you know, I, I've, I've, I've got a lot of lenders where I've followed a sales rep around, a loan rep around from one company to the other company, you know, and, and they may have worked at, at this agency lender for an extended amount of time, but now he's over here. Well, the relationship might be with that loan officer just not that company, you know? And I think that's where, that's where a lot of the, 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 the hiccups come is when, you know, we're dealing with these chains of decision makers, right? At the end, in the end, we're like three people removed from the final decision maker in the, in the credit department. And a lot of times they don't make that decision until five days before you're supposed to close. Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, wait a second, I thought we had this loan and it's not bagged until it's bagged. And even then it's not bagged. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's very true. There's an inherent risk in that, but that's what we try to mitigate. That's why you work with people that have been been there before and, uh, you know, have longevity in the market. Yeah. You know, that's that's one of the the other things too. So, um, you know, I, I, I feel like, I feel like the folks that I have in my lender bucket are are there because they've proven time and time again that they can bring it to the table. And they pride themselves on getting as close to what they act as possible. Right. So, you know, I, I, I've, I, I feel like we've drilled down to a solid group. Um, and I try to I try not to just throw things at my clients that I know they're not going to use. You know, yeah. if, if, if somebody's looking for long term debt. You know, I'm not going to try and cloud them with, you know, 15 options of, of you know, five-year fixed periods that may not be the right fit for them. 
or right. loans that have this huge prepayment penalty well, that they can't get out of. And I've seen I've seen that. I've seen a lot of people like they have a real operating plan, but they'll sign debt on something that totally doesn't fit it because that's what the broker said they have to have. And they should have maybe held out and said, listen, I, you know, either I got to find this or I got to restructure my whole deal to understand this new debt, right? Yeah. And what's going to have Absolutely. to happen and what, you know, where is the exit out of it? Because if, they, you know, if there's big prepayment penalties or, or big events that have to get out early and no one's disclosed about it, I mean, that's just, that's, there's unnecessary hurdles there, right? And, and people get themselves into yeah. trouble. And I think that's that really understanding the concept of paying down your principal and being able to refinance when you want to, and how counterintuitive one is one is to the other. Mm-hmm. That's that's huge, and that's where that initial consultation comes in. You know, where I have a lot of people ask me, "Well, how should I get in touch with you, and when can I call you?" And you know, for me, call me all the time. We're, we're two human beings where, you know, like, like you, you pick up the phone and call me anytime. I don't care. Yep. We, we talk all the time about this. Hey, man, what's this going on? Okay. It, and that's the way I try to try to be with all of my clients where we don't have a formal structure where we're going to wait until Tuesday at four to talk. Sometimes right? we just talk about motorcycles like the one you got behind you in the, in the background. That's, oh, yes. Yes, that's, <laughs> I do love that one. We're going to go down a rabbit hole there, so we got to stay on stay tap. on topic, um, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but 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 that is true. Like so, that is the communication piece. Is like, hey man, uh, if you're even looking at a market, hey, what does this market do? You know, do you have any experience in this market? Where what's the LTV in this market? Uh, you know, that's something we do actually pretty regularly when I'm looking at potential deals or potential market. I'm like, hey, you know, what's what's out here? Like, what is the leverage? What is is there uh, agency? Do they, they want to play in this market, or is, or what is the you know, what's the story here, right? What's the story you know, in this market? You're absolutely right. That's actually and, and live example. As soon as we wrap here, my next on my to do list is putting together an email for a client that sent me about five different markets, and she's looking for leverage points IO on each one of those markets, and again, understanding your client and understanding what the, the strategy is, four out of those five markets are oil and gas driven. That's gonna be the first thing that we're gonna talk about. Right. You know, she, she wants to know about Odessa, Midland, I mean, and some other ones on there okay, that really have heavy oil and gas. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Dude, I almost bought a deal in Odessa, and I swear to God, I'm so glad I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Tell her to run, Dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we got to talk about. That's that's the conversation we're gonna have, but, right? But um, like, but those, but that's a real like because oil and gas is so crazy. With a stroke that's, of a that's, pen, that's, it was killed, right? I mean, like, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I mean, one debate, <laughs> one statement on a debate. But and you know, going back to what we started with, limited economic drivers. Right. The economy is driven by one industry and you're living and dying by that industry. So just something to think about, you know? No, that's, and, and, but so the, the point of that is, it's not to say whether a desk is good or bad. It's the, the point is to say that a mortgage broker will help you identify 
goods and weaknesses and strengths of each market that you're interested in and give you some guidance. And this is what most people see. I truly believe that great people do this is they seek for guidance from their trusted advisors, right? Your mortgage broker should be like an advisor on your team and he's a piece of the puzzle. And if you don't use them like that, I think you're missing out. What do you, what do you say to that, Eric? Are you ready for retirement? The majority of Americans are not. Failing Social Security and dated financial planning practices put strains on many retirees' finances. 46% of Americans admit they are not taking steps to prepare for the likelihood they outlive their retirement savings. Luckily, it's not too late. Diversify your portfolio. At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. To learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room. I try to be as clear and work with my clients um, you know, on, on their, their plan going forward as I can. I hope people use me in that respect um, because I try to make myself as available as possible. In the end, it's, it's all about longer term relationships. Yep. You know, when, when for, the, for the longest time, you know, funding deals and then you know, seeing them go, you had a little postpartum after, after the deal closed. Cause you'd marry up to these deals with your clients for three months, yeah. you know, two months. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it closes and you, you don't see those daily weekly calls, you know, and uh, trying to build long-term relationships now. And, and it's been that way for the last decade and it's great. Yeah. You know, I really, really, I feel like that's where the value is. Yeah, so I'm, is. I'm excited to continue that trend. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Listen, uh, thanks for having uh, coming on this show and really talking about some ins and outs of the lending world, um, how it works. Uh, you know, I think there's some really good insights there. Um, if people are looking to get a hold of Eric Stewart and uh, your company, uh, how do they find you, bro? You know, you can call me. I'll give you my 800 number. It's 800-916-9005. You can email me which is my, my first initial and last name, E. Stewart at AtlanticBusinessCapital.com. That's the domain name. You can look us up online too. And uh, love, to, love to catch up and continue the conversations that we had today. Yeah, listen, if guys, if you're looking for uh, another great lender that has lots of tools in his bag, um, truly is great at finding, uh, helping uh, newer syndicators too, just navigate. I mean, you've just, you've always been very gracious and understanding and, and, and teaching and coaching and, and placing debt. I mean, I think you do it by far best that I've seen. Um, I, I really appreciate your friendship and uh, really want to uh, give a good resource for people out there that are listening um eric's the kind of guy that will do what he says he's going to do and in in my book that's important thank you i really appreciate that before we uh before we move on any books you're reading anything anything that's really like getting you like hit hitting it you know i just i just wrapped up the um the, the never split the difference yeah and it was I mean, that's, that's, I think it's a, I'm seeing a lot of it lately and it's really interesting um, that, that the viewpoint of when you feel like you don't have anything to negotiate with, you know, and, and we see this so often when we get close to our, our closing dates and contracts, yeah. you know, and maybe you need a little extra time and you're like, I am on my heels, but, but, you know, being able to, to posture correctly and, you know, see beyond just splitting it down the middle and it is phenomenal. That was really exciting. 
I think uh, this this the nuance of Audible has changed the game as far as absorbing books, hasn't it? Oh my God! Yes, yes. You can go on a, a long walk for an hour and and hit a book, yeah. dude. Like, I mean, get in your car, just going to your to the, to your workplace. You can hit yeah. that stuff. I mean, there's just uh, I had man, I didn't write down my notes. A guy. That Fairchild, hold on, I gotta find it again because I wrote it down. Blinkist, I'm gonna give it to you too. Blinkist, it's a way to read a book. It gives the summary of the book, like a 20 or 30 minute, like any book you want to read. It can give you an audible sum, a summary of that book, like you like you read it. Like the Cliff Notes, like the book for dummies, right? Blinkist. I, I've not downloaded it yet, but uh, we ha- I had him on my podcast a couple, of, uh, probably it was either last week or the week before, and I was like, dude, that's a great give, and I'm like, I'm so, uh, now that I'm talking to you again, I'm going to actually download it on my phone, and because uh, it's an app, but dude, that's, got it right here. I'm gonna do it. that was like, oh, he's like, because he was like, well, let's talk about books, because I've read 50 books or something like that, I'm like, dude, get out of here. How are you, like, are you just one of those speed readers? What are you doing? Right? right? And But it was really cool because he was like, I can get the gist of what I need and all the meat and potatoes without all the fluff. And it's like I'm reading the book. And I get I get it, right? And I was like, dude, that's what sometimes we, you just want to get the meat, right? Like, oh, that's a great idea. Absolutely. No, yeah. that's, that's great. I wrote it down. I'm doing it. All I'm right. doing it, and I'll report back to you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, guys. You know, on this podcast, we we really try to keep it real. We have great uh, guests like Eric that come on and just you know and share the nuts and bolts, uh, no frills. Just you know, here's what it is, and with honesty and, and integrity, and the things that you need in in this business and in your life to be successful. You got to surround yourself with just a players. Eric is one of those players. I highly recommend that you seek him out, find him, get to know him. He is the salt of the earth. Guys, for everybody else that's listening right now, um, success doesn't just happen to show up. It is pre-programmed. It is it is a destiny that is ready to be fulfilled. And it happens more than you know. It happens in your mind. Okay? It is not anything else. There's, there's no secret sauce. It's what you believe that matters, right? So take the time and think about your success. Meditate on it daily because if you believe it, you can achieve it and your paradise is absolutely possible.